0: Thank you, Miss Diane and worship team for leading us this morning and worshiping the Lord. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Job, the book of Job. And before we get into our main teaching this morning, I, I do want to encourage you in a, another way, another way first. Um, I, I want to encourage you in the area of service. If you're visiting with us, I do want to welcome you. This is mainly a... Um, family conversation here for a moment (laughs) so welcome and you can sit in and I have here encourage don't browbeat this is this is no way intended to be a guilt thing and I want to say that to myself and say that to you so if you feel guilty after I say this you need to ask yourself whether that's the spirit or whether that's Satan because I am in no way intending to make you feel guilty but I do hope to encourage you and Titus 3 after Paul writes of God's work of redemption in Christ, and he paints this beautiful picture of what God's done in the life of the believer through giving them the Holy Spirit, cleansing them of their sins. This is what he says, insist on these things, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. That those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. As a staff, we have over, it seems like this past year, but even even recently, and have found it increasingly more difficult to get volunteers for some of the things that we are advertising. Um, And we, (laughs) um, again, I I know that the hurricane, the storm was this past week. I know that things are going on in the lives of you that I have no idea, and many of us have no idea, and you you are attending to those things. I know there are many of you who serve constantly and so those you're not the ones I'm talking to actually I intend in no one specifically but I just want you to hopefully ask yourself have you been inconvenienced in any way because of this body if you're a member here and you haven't been inconvenienced in any way because of your service here then then are you contributing are you We were at a church this past Sunday, had the opportunity to visit a church plant that Crosspoint has contributed to, Epic Church in San Francisco. And the sermon was, are you consuming and contributing, or are you just consuming? And I want to ask you that this morning, Crosspoint members, are you also contributing? I know many of you are, but we would also be concerned that some aren't. The, the workload is going to the 20% of people and then there are the maybe 80%. That's the statistic usually that 80, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Yesterday and Friday, there were ch- people who aren't even church members who put in hours uh, and, of help at the BCM providing the tailgate for Crosspoint, which was sponsored by Crosspoint non-church members who went and got the food to provide food for the BCM students. It was sponsored by Crosspoint. Again, it's it got done, and it was a blessing. There were over 75 students there probably. But, friends, this is not just one event. This is something that has happened over the last year. I understand we're in transition, and supposedly this is what happens when there's not a senior pastor. But that shouldn't be the way it is. And so I hope I hope you see this as an encouragement, friends. When you receive that email that says, here are the opportunities, when you open the bulletin that says, here are service opportunities, jump on one. Sign up. There are sign-up sheets over here. There are buildings that need things done sometimes. Just jump on it. I just encourage you as God's people to help contribute. And I hope this is not a guilt. I hope that the Spirit pricks your heart and and leads you to serve in specific ways. So, how's that for an introduction? Doesn't that make you feel good? Great. Great. The book of Job this morning. If Week before last, uh, we began a, a, ser- a sermon series on wisdom literature. How to be successful in God's world. How to be successful in God's world. And the first one, somewhat of an introduction that all the wisdom books talk about, was fear God. The first way that we have to, are to be successful in God's world, if we are to live life in the way that God has expected, and also the way that God has designed life to be lived here we must first fear God. And this week, I didn't intend to be in the book of Job. The book of Job is not the first one we think of when we think of wisdom literature. We really often, we think primarily of Proverbs, right? Most of us would think of Proverbs. But Job is also under that genre of wisdom literature. And because of what happened with the storm this week, um, I, I thought this would be helpful. As one writer has said that uh, the wisdom of Proverbs comes through basic instructions on how to live, but Job presents wisdom in a more contemplative way by asking big questions about who God is and how his people should respond to suffering. Who God is and how his people should respond to suffering. I don't want to be overdramatic this morning. I know many of us came out very well from the storm. Many of us didn't even have electricity go out, but all of us were inconvenienced in some way. Katie and I flew in Monday just before they cut off the flights to New Orleans. We might have been happy if we would have been flying in a little later, but we we got into New Orleans, and then we uh, drove to Mandeville, and then back to Baton Rouge, and then Tuesday we worked a little bit, and, uh, and then about 5 o'clock the wind was peaking at about 10 miles per hour, as I've shared this story with many of you, and all of a sudden at 5 o'clock before the rain had begun, and we were... Trying to get dinner ready before the electricity went out or anything, a transformer blew. Winds about ten miles per hour. Keep that in mind. So uh, our electricity went out very early. It was in, and stayed out. Energy had already decided to not go out until everything died down. I don't nothing had started yet, but they were waiting for it to die down. And so we were out of electricity the remainder of the time, and it, it wasn't that big a deal. But life is inconvenient sometimes, isn't it? Some sometimes things just come up that we would not prefer. And the storm happened, and there were a lot of us who were, were thanking God that worse worst did not happen to us. God is good, right? We were saying those things. And, and that's very true. But at the same time, there's these, I, I'm such a person to ask questions, just part of my personality. I was also asking, what about the people whose homes you see on the news and they have eight feet of water in their homes? What do they say about God? Is it as is it easy to say God is good? Is God not good? What's, what's the difference? Our electricity didn't go out. Bless God. Well, I, my house flooded and I lost everything. What do we say in those times? Is God still as good? Well, thankfully the Bible addresses these kinds of questions. And so I thought it would be appropriate for us to consider the wisdom of Job this morning. How to be successful in God's world? Well, remember God's character in trials. Remember God's character in trials. I want to ask three questions. I think the book of Job, these are the questions that the book of Job asks. The first one is Is God over all things? I hope you'll open your bulletin and see the notes there. We'll be hitting lots of verses, and so hopefully the, the sheet of paper will be helpful to you. Number two, point two Is God just even when the righteous face trials? Is God still just? And then lastly, What does Job have to do with Jesus? What does Job have to do with Jesus? Let's look at these first verses uh, this morning. Is God over all things? You know, the question sounds really simple. Of course God is. But when you think personally over some of the darkest things that have ever happened to you, does the answer still come so easily? When your friend stabbed you in the back, was God working, ordaining in that? Does the yes come so easily? Let's look at the book of Job. And I hope it challenges you as much as it's challenged me this week. Let's first look at chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. And the first thing I want us to see, and I think the book of Job teaches, is that God is not... He is over all things. And the first thing that we see He's over is Satan himself, the adversary. Verses 6 through 12 of chapter 1. It says in verse 6, There was a day when the sons of God, it probably means angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan, the adversary, also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro upon the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? There you have it from the Lord himself. Job is a righteous man. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed, him. You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Clearly, Satan's ability to do anything to afflict Job came from the direct permission of God. This is an easy truth. We know that God is over Satan, right? But Why is this so significant? Well, let's look closely at the means Satan uses to attack Job's life. Let's look at verses 13 through 19. Look at verse 13. Now there was a day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans, this is just another people, another army or brutal group. They fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Look at these means that Satan uses. First, there's the enemy armies that steal his oxen, his donkeys, and then in verse 17, his camels, and then they brutally kill his servants. Can you imagine what this must have been like? Like, can you imagine this scene? It's violent, but this is what the Bible has. Let your mind go there for a minute. They get there, they go on this scene, and everything has been stolen. His means of income have gone, and his servants are brutally killed. Later, it says, a wildfire would consume his shepherds and servants. A wildfire, that happens today, doesn't it? We see tragedy because of wildfires. That's in verse 16. Can you imagine that scene, walking upon upon it, where the servants have just been burned? I'm not trying to be gruesome, but I I think the Bible wants us to use our imagination a bit. These people have just been burned to death. I've heard that after Katrina, the smell from all the destruction was left there for a, a year, for months after months. These are people that have just been burned. But also his sons and daughters were eating and drinking and and having a good time together and a great wind came. It sounds something like a tornado came and took their lives. I mention these things because these are the same things that happen often in our day. We had one of these natural disasters just this past week. And what we see, we see the order of things. That God has given permission to Satan, said, yes, you can go do this. And then Satan has used these destructive means that we see all the time. But notice how, in Job, there's another situation, there's another one that happens. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In a moment, we'll look at how Job responds to all this. First, I want you to see everything that Satan does verses 1-7 through of chapter 2. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job and that there is none like him on the earth? It's the same situation that happened before. He's a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Verse 4, then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. It's likely leprosy that Job was struck with by Satan. But look at the other means that Satan uses. He uses a deadly disease. A disease that will bring Job within just a brink of his life. Friends, do you see how practical this is? God has given Satan permission to go do these things in Job's life to afflict him in this way. And look at the response of Job. I believe it's an example of how a wise man responds when evil comes into their life, when inconvenience comes into their life. Job one twenty. This is after his sons and daughters, all his agricultural things, and uh, after they have been destroyed. This is the first things before he becomes sick. Job one twenty. Job got up and tore his robe. It was a bad day. <laughs> all those things happened in one day. He got up and tore his robe. He shaved his head, and then he threw himself down with his face to the ground. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be blessed. And all this, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God with moral impropriety, with wrong. Do <laughs> you see what's happened? Satan has attacked Job by the permission of God And Job in response says Blessed be the name of the Lord The Lord gives and the Lord takes away Notice he doesn't go to talk to Satan about it Because he knows God is the one who's over it So you see when tragedy strikes When we lose the job When the spouse gets the bad diagnosis When the friend stabs us in the back. God forbid when rape occurs to someone close in our family. Do you notice the extremity the extremes here? Job's friends, his children are brutally killed. Yet who's involved? The God over all things. The God over all things. Job ascribes it to the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. It's all the Lord. Is it that easy to say, Job? That it's the Lord? Well, what else does Job say? After he's struck in his body, his wife tells him, And this is chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. (laughs) Job says to her, should we receive what is good from God and not also what is evil? In all this, Job did not sin by what he said. The narrator is helping us see that Job is the example of how to respond to suffering. He is a wise man who knows how to deal with trials. He trusts God, that God is over all things. You see, what I I hope you see this morning is I hope you get a framework for how to endure all your life. The day that things just don't go well at work. Do you remember that God is over all things, no matter how difficult that coworker is? No matter how difficult the children may be? God is working in all things. He's sovereign over all. You see, God is over Satan and every means that Satan uses. And God is also over the suffering of the righteous, those who trust and walk with God. And as hard as it may be to say that God is over our suffering and our trials, how much more difficult and disheartening is it to say that God has no control over it? Can you imagine? Friends, do you have disappointment in your lives? Do you have some circumstances that could be better? It's wise to know that God is working in that. That God is sovereignly, wisely working for your good and for His glory in whatever it may be. This is what Job says. But what does it say about the character of God? Is it damaged by the fact that good people are suffering harm? Is God just even when the righteous face trials? Let's remember that Job really is a righteous man. A lot of us would say, none of us can really compare to Job, let's be honest. But Job 1.1 reminds us, and then what God said, that Job is a righteous man. In the introduction, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He was a righteous man. And even this righteous man would begin to ask questions. Job 19, 6-7, Know then that God has wronged me and encircled me with his net. If I cry out violence, I receive no answer. I cry for help, but there is no justice even this righteous man whom we we would look to as an example eventually in all his suffering and trial begins to ask questions about God's wisdom in this and so is God just even when the righteous face trials and here's the main point i want to make and i think the book of job is telling us we can't fathom God's understanding I don't believe that Job, the book of Job, gives a full answer to the problem of evil and why bad things happen. I I really don't. I believe the answer is we can't even fathom what God is doing. I think that's why when Paul in Philippians 4 says the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The truth is, friends, we don't always have to understand. And that's sometimes difficult to take in a time of existence when we're trying to prove everything by science or whatever it may be, the truth is they can't even prove everything. We can't always fathom God's understanding. I want to use one illustration. Joni erickson Tata, many of you have heard of her. She was 17 years old and was in a diving accident. And she uh, was paralyzed. And after her accident occurred, she was a very healthy person when this happened and was even a new Christian. And after this happened, they had a surgery, and they were having to shave some of the bone to try to help her. And this, she talks about her recovery. She, she had to be placed face down for hours at a time, trapped in this thing where she could not move, and all she could see, she says, is tiles on the floor. And again, she was a new believer, and after right after she was converted, this horrible incident occurs, and she's going to be paralyzed for life. And here's what Joni Eareckson Tada says: Trapped, face down, staring at the floor, hour after hour, my thoughts grew dark and hopeless. This is the way you treat your new Christians, God? I can't believe I have to lie face down and do nothing but count the tiles on the floor on this torture rack. I hate my existence. And she would go on and talk about depression. About one week into that three-week stint of lying face down, staring at the floor, waiting for my back to heal, I got hit with a bad case of the flu. <laughs> can, situation, can the situation get any worse? She gets the flu. And suddenly, not being able to move was peanuts compared to not being able to breathe. And during this time, she says a friend would come visit her in the hospital and bring her a Bible. She put a Bible on a little stool in front of me, she says, about her friend, and stuck a stick in my mouth so I could flip its pages. And the friend told me to turn to Psalm 18. And there I read... In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. Smoke went up from his nostrils. He bowed the heavens and came down. He sent from on high. He took me. He rescued me. And she said, here's the best part. Because he delighted in me. She was bitter and she had no desire to live. But... When she allowed God to speak through his word and reveal his character, she found joy and understanding. Joni Erickson taught us now uh, is an advocate to people who are paralyzed, paralyzed, has written over 40 books. And this particular excerpt was from a book called Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. And she talks about the joy that she found in hearing from the Lord. You see... Sometimes we're not going to understand what God's doing, but all we need to do is quiet down and let Him speak. We just need to quiet down and let Him speak. Here's what He says to Job, Job 38, 1-7. Job has questioned, questioned, and asked, why am I suffering? His friends have said, Job, it must be sin in your life. That's got to be it. And Job examines his heart and knows there, it's not necessarily sin, but he's still angry. God, why am I suffering? Job 38, 1 through 7. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Get ready for a difficult task like a man. I'll question you and you will inform me. And God says to Job, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you possess understanding. Who set its measurements, if you know? Or who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its bases set? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang in chorus and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Where were you, Job? Where were we? Job 40, one through 2. If you'll turn there. The Lord then answered Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let the person who accuses God give him an answer. Would you indeed annul my justice? You can skip down to verses 8 through 10. Would you declare me guilty so that you might be right? Do you have an arm as powerful as God's, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself then with majesty and excellency, and clothe yourself with glory and honor. You see, if we want to bring a case against God and accuse God of wrongdoing or accuse God or say, God, I, I think I know a better way than you can do this, then we better be able to adorn ourselves in all glory and honor and power. We better be able to tell him how the earth was created and how all things came into existence and still work together. You see, God teaches Job that his righteousness is tied in with his power. He is the only pre-existing one. He's the only one who's capable of creating out of nothing, giving order to all creation. His wisdom, friends, is entirely outside of our understanding. And Job's response teaches us that we don't always have to understand what God's doing to trust him. We don't always have to understand what God's doing to trust him. The last aspects of this, if is God just, is the repentance of the righteous. Job is as good as it gets, friends, as far as people. But listen to what Job says in Job 42. After God speaks and after God reveals his majesty, this is what Job says in verses 1-6 through six of chapter 42. Job answered the Lord, I know you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this? Who darkens counsel without knowledge? But I have declared understanding things too wonderful for me to know. You say, pay attention and I will speak. I will question you and you will answer me. I had heard of You by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye has seen you. Job says, I thought I knew who you were, God, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Even the righteous man, even the good man, the godly man must repent. And remember who God is. Job is an open invitation to all of us who have doubted God's wisdom. To all of us who've struggled with the way God's working in our lives and in the world, particularly in our lives, Job is an open invitation. He questioned God. He eventually even accused him of wrongdoing. And yet God reveals himself and Job repents and says, I'll trust you. So to you who are struggling, God, is this the best thing that could happen? Like, is this really as good as it could be? Couldn't you do something a little bit better? Design things in a different way? He is the supreme designer. He designs all things perfectly for his glory and your good. Sure, question. But eventually, you'll need to quiet and just listen to him speak his love and wisdom into your life. What does Job have to do with Jesus? Jesus. Every one of these, as we go through this wisdom series, which I know you'll be voting on a guy next Sunday, but he won't preach the next Sunday, regardless of how you vote. So we will finish this wisdom series, and every one of them, I want to make sure that we see how wisdom literature points us to Jesus. And here's why. You see, in Luke twenty four twenty seven, Jesus is walking with some guys on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. They don't know who he is. They don't recognize him. And here's what it says that Jesus does to them. He kind of plays this trick with them. They don't know who he is. And it says, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them th- the things written about himself in all the scriptures. In all the scriptures. Somehow, Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, begins to explain about himself, beginning with Moses, the first books of the Bible, and continuing on through the whole Old Testament. And so, part of what we do when we study the Bible is we're looking at how does this point to Jesus? And so, I want to hopefully help you see how does Job point to Jesus? Job was a righteous man who by God's set purpose was handed over to satanic inflicted sufferings. Jesus was the righteous one who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God as an access to suffer death at the hands of very unrighteous men. Do you see the correlation? Job was handed over to Satan by God. Jesus was handed over to be killed by unrighteous men. In their suffering, both were forsaken by their friends. What what happens to Job when he's in his suffering? His friends come and say, Job, you must be in sin. That's got to be it. His wife tells him, Curse God and die. What happens when Jesus is inflicted with his sufferings? His disciples flee. Both men were tempted by Satan to forsake God. We've seen that already with what happens to Job. Jesus was in a wilderness and and tempted by Satan many times to turn from his mission. Job, he was fully restored even after all his suffering. Listen to Job 42.10. So the Lord restored what Job had lost after he prayed for his friends, and the Lord doubled all that had belonged to Job. The Lord, Job was fully restored. Jesus was and is and will be fully exalted. Remember Philippians 2, 9 through 11? As a result of him humbling himself to the point of death, even the death on a cross, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Both Job and Jesus were restored. Job. This is really interesting. Job becomes a mediator between his friends and God. Have you ever noticed this before in the book of Job? Listen to verses 7 through 9 of chapter 42. After the Lord had spoken these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, this, this is one of Job's friends who accused him of being in sin, He said, my anger is stirred up against you and your two friends because you have not spoken about me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will intercede for you and I will respect him. In other words, I will give him favor. I will accept what he brings so that I do not deal with you according to your folly because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So they went, the three friends, and did just as the Lord told them, and the Lord favored, had respect for Job. See what's happened? Job became a mediator between his friends and God. Hebrews 9.15, what did Jesus do? Jesus, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the internal inheritance he has promised since he died to set them free from the sins committed under the law, the first covenant. You see? The correlations? Job prepares us. He points us to Jesus. But Jesus, he is the true righteous sufferer. The worker of all darkness, Satan, who asked to take Job. Job, He was allowed to take Jesus all the way to death. And he thought in that that he might conquer. But in the sovereign plan of God, his death was the work of our salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made one the, the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, while Job was a righteous sufferer, Jesus is the true only righteous sufferer. And he in his, in his suffering achieves our Salvation. Here's the main point of all of it. Here's where we bring it together. When we know God's character, we never have to fear in following Him. Is there something that you're nervous about? Is there some hesitation you have in your life? Something that you're not, that you're just fearful of? Some future that you have that, Uncharted waters that you, you just don't know how to deal with. When you know God's character, you never have to fear in following Him. It doesn't matter how dark it is, God is over every single aspect of it. No matter how dark, no matter how brutal. You don't have to fear suffering. You don't have to fear your life being inconvenienced. You don't have to fear losing someone you love. You don't have to fear not being provided for. You don't have to fear losing your house, not accomplishing your dreams. What is it you need to fear, give up being fearful of? Children, if you remember anything from this morning, I hope you hear this. When you learn about God and who God is and how great He is and how powerful He is, you don't have to be fearful of anything in following Him. Sometimes it's not, not easy to obey your parents. It's not easy to do the things that you're supposed to do. But children, listen. When you come to know who God is, you don't have to fear anything in following God and obeying Him. Because He will always be good you will always be good. Friends, we'll come to the Lord's Supper this morning. And as we come, I simply want you to meditate on the goodness of God in providing for your salvation. And as you do that, I want you to remember that this is the love that casts out all fear. He's loved you with an everlasting love. That love cast out all fear. He's over all things in your life. He's provided His own Son for you. There's nothing He won't do. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your gracious love. God, we thank You for the table that's before us. And Lord, while it's... A cup of grape juice and, and pita bread. Lord, may we not look on it flippantly. It represents the body and blood of your Son that have been given for our salvation so that we might be healed of all our wounds and that all our sins might be wiped away. Give us grace to see you this morning and to trust you with all things. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask the deacons to come forward.